0: Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're joined by Tom Dawkins. He is from the Start Some Good, uh, CEO and co-founder. Tom, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, cheers, Tom. Uh, so who is Tom? Tell us a bit about who you are, your background, your history, Tom.
1: There's are big questions, Andrew. Um, so I guess I'm someone who, who who is very passionate about making a difference and, and kind of from a fairly early age has, have been... very, uh, I guess, mission-driven, you might say, in terms of wanting to kind of orienting my life around the kind of social impact that I want to have. But one of the things that I guess I got very passionate about very early, which perhaps is a bit unusual, is it's not just that I'm kind of, you know, political or a change maker or the specific things I want to change. I'm actually interested in the whole ecosystem of how change happens. And the particular thing that I care deeply about and have really spent the majority of my career working on is trying to make it easier for people to make a difference. How do we remove some of the barriers for people? And it's you know, similar to what you guys are doing. Though. When someone has a great idea in their head and they want to get it out there in the real world, that's what we want to do, but not just mm-hmm. for kind of technical ideas, but for anyone who has an idea for how something could be better, You know, for something that would improve their community. We want to make it just a little bit easy. It's never easy to change the world. That's hard. So I'm not no. pretending <laughs> that we, make, we don't make it easy, mm-hmm. but we, we we aspire to make it easier by providing mm-hmm. tools and coaching. And that really rests on, I guess, my whole life purpose is to try and build a more Uh, A kind of a better democracy and to me that means one where people can participate in making things happen It's not just about voting. Mm -hmm. I think voting is kind of voting is to democracy like AGMs out of business Yes, like big big companies have to have an AGM and they're an important administrative mechanism But no one would claim that the heart of business activity is an AGM and I think in the same way the heart of democracy is not an election It's every other day of the year How how we how we participate how we make a difference how we create the future that we want Mm -hmm. and so that's taken me through founding three not-for-profits and a couple of social enterprises okay. all, wow. fo- all focused on you know helping people get mm-hmm. get active and make a difference but start some good is, is certainly the most technology focused of those mm-hmm.
0: so in terms of what where do you think you got that passion from where did that stem from tom like if you think back uh, what do you reckon uh, that was where did that come from because
1: i actually have a specific experience yeah. i can point to it i, I think you know possibly i would have got there anyway yeah. through a different series of circumstances but mm-hmm. certainly i didn't I, I didn't you know as a teenager have any sense of what i wanted to be when i grew up i had and discovered that sense of purpose. I didn't have, I didn't, I no longer had kind of a thing I wanted to be when I grew up. I no longer wanted to be a fireman, but I didn't know what I, what I did want to be. Does anyone know um, what
0: they want to be at 16? No,
1: some <laughs> people, some people yeah. pretend. Yeah. Um, today, you shouldn't know what you want to be because the thing you want to be probably doesn't exist yet. Mm. And that's how it turned yes. out for me. I couldn't have known what I wanted to be because how could I bet, like, when I grow up, I want to be a crowdfunding entrepreneur? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't understand what any of those words mean. Um, But the particular experience I did have, so I was, you know, I was really struggling in high school, to be honest, doing really badly at school and getting in fights and being bullied and having a bad time. And I stumbled upon, I got kicked out of class in year 10, Mm -hmm. um, English class specifically for speaking and being disruptive. And this used to happen to me a little bit. And I was there in the corridor reflecting on the injustice of the world and feeling sorry for myself. And I found a brochure that someone had dropped in the corridor. It literally had like muddy footprints on, on top of it. And it was a brochure for student exchange, a student exchange program. And I didn't know that that existed. No one had introduced me to the concept of student exchanges, that it was possible as a high school student to go to get the hell out for a little (laughs) while and go somewhere else. So I went home. I went home that night and announced to my parents, Mum and Dad, I'm going to go to America for a year. Um and they in retrospect. <laughs> well, it, like, they were slightly suspiciously in retrospect, really enthusiastic about that get Yeah, and so it took about a year before I went, but I found myself a year later in a little well, not that little kind of three hundred thousand people, a small city called Spokane, Washington. And so that would have been a life-changing experience on its own. Mm. But then an even more random thing, you know, if that wasn't kind of, random and coincidental enough out of class finding the brochure um, been lucky enough to of course have parents who could support me to pursue that that dream. I then was selected to attend a conference essentially uh, called the State of the World Forum which was this big powwow of all these important people like seven Nobel Peace Prize winners were there Ronald Reagan was there Mikhail oh, wow. Gorbachev, <laughs> Gorbachev <laughs> you nice.
2: know,
1: Margaret Thatcher, it was like a post-Cold War kind of Hall of Fame mm-hmm. powwow to like talk about now the cold, you know now the Cold War is over. What are the new? What, what are the new aspirations for the world community? Mm-hmm. And uh, those conversations actually eventually turned into the millennial development goals, which are now the sustainable development goals for people who are familiar with those, yes. which is 17, <laughs> which is kind of like the world's to-do list. So you um,
0: you were there at the, the beginning of that.
1: Wow. Not the only. I mean, it was yeah, a whole lot that. of conversations. Yeah, I get that. that but, but yeah, in this later. in this fuzzy period where the, mm-hmm. the, the the to-do list of the world mm-hmm. prior to that was mm-hmm. you know more or less win the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was this period where there was no kind of agreed objectives and so anyway this is one of a lot of you know Mm -hmm. attempts to convene the conversation and I think quite late in the piece they thought well you know if we're talking about the future wouldn't it be nice to have some young people here Mm. but they didn't have the time or the inclination or the budget to do this global search for worthy young leaders Mm -hmm. so they did the smart thing you do you partner and they partnered with AFS uh, the student exchange organization I happen to be on to select 32 young people from 28 countries who were already conveniently located in america brilliant. and so i was somehow and i just found myself at this event in san francisco mm-hmm. um in amongst all these incredible people meeting multiple you know world leaders and Nobel prize winners and and so it's just this just this kind of mind-blowingly kind of empowering experience of like oh my god i have a responsibility you know that, I, that like you know young people need to have a voice and i've been given this opportunity to speak on behalf of them uh, and that was great, but it was actually like in thinking about that afterwards that really set me on my course. Because as I thought about that kind of in the weeks afterwards, I reflected on how much it had meant to me, mm-hmm. but how random it was that I was there at all. Mm-hmm. Like how many, how many, like, the chances? people <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. across the planet. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I realized that this is what youth empowerment usually looks like. You know, it, 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 it's usually like tokenistic, haphazard and deeply biased towards wealth, mm-hmm. because I realized that all 32 of us were there while we had surface diversity we were boys and girls, black and white. And. Mm-hmm first world and third world, every single one of us had parents who could afford to send us to America for a year on student exchange. Mm -hmm. And so literally what I've been trying to do ever since is think about how could I give everyone that experience, Mm -hmm. the experience that I had of being told that my voice mattered, that my story mattered, and that I had a role to play in creating a, a better future. How could everyone have that experience. Uh, and I still haven't figured that out, but that's what I've been trying to, that's what I've been trying to do that's ever since. That's
0: problem you're trying to solve. Though. That's a, <laughs> yeah. a brilliant story. I didn't realize the type of uh, detail you'd go into when I asked the question. So thanks for sharing that. I mean, just yeah, a bit sorry, of background it's really hard there. to do a summary. Oh, bit of no, no that, sort of was really good. Version of that Yeah, no, I think that's been <laughs> so, really good to frame where you've come from and how it sort of came about. And it's amazing how sometimes just these circumstances happen in our lives and it can impact the way we move forward yeah, and the things doors. that we do. And Yes, you're exactly yeah. right. So I you're have pretty about that, that
1: unknown person who dropped that brochure, yes. who changed my life, <laughs> who, who, <laughs> who doesn't even realize how much they changed my life, and that could have been yeah, him yeah, if they Put it in my pocket, away,
2: <laughs> a piece of paper. Totally, and yeah. Just, yeah. sit you on the path for if the rest they hadn't of your life. been
1: Deeply irresponsible about littering. Yes, <laughs> everything would have been different.
2: <laughs> no, brilliant, Tom. So obviously, there's
0: a bit of depth of um, of passion in that, in terms of what you're up to. So tell us a bit about the journey. You mentioned you've started multiple um, non for profits. Tell us a bit about a journey of how that's been and how that's played out.
1: I mean, it's been hard work, to be honest. I mean, the most significant of those, I founded a, a kind of high school student organization as soon as I got back mm-hmm. from the US, and we ended up with, like, members in 50 high schools we were holding events in Parliament House and publishing, I guess, what you call a zine okay. um, that we distributed mm-hmm. around. I was actually leveraging the borderline infinite photocopying allowance from, that <laughs> our members of Parliament had. <laughs> and I Clever. had both a Labor and a Liberal member of Parliament allowing me to come to their office and run, and run off thousands of copies of the. You know, they're like young people yeah. who care about politics. Um <laughs> Uh, And then, and then a university student organization, and then, and then it was, and and then an organization called Vibewire, and that's I Mm -hmm. founded when I was, gosh, I guess Mm twenty-one, still at university, and it's now it just turned twenty, just to date myself, (laughs) um, very very precisely. (laughs) Um, I was there for the first eight years, Mm -hmm. um, and and the reason I set up was 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 because I got really passionate about technology, Mm -hmm. um, and the power of the internet, and I realized what I really wanted to do was, I guess, at a fundamental level, create spaces where people can engage in conversation can share their stories and perspectives and and hopefully come up with new ideas and, and ways to collaborate together to create a better future and up until that point i was doing that almost entirely through real world events at universities you know so we'd have all different types of events film screenings and bring politicians to campus and poets to campus and cool speakers and debates and you know just stuff to get people thinking um, but I realized at a certain point. But then I got really, you know, then it was well the year two thousand and the internet was so hot back then. And you know, I was reading. I got really drawn in from a kind of, I guess, more so- sociology point of view. I guess I'm okay. not, I'm not, am not a developer. <laughs> you know, I was doing yeah. a political science and a philosophy degree. Mm-hmm. Just to give context. Okay. So, so my interest is like how how people interact with ideas and mm-hmm. how how you inspire people to create change. But I got I got deeply fascinated by the internet as for the first time in human history, a platform that was both like that had both mass reach and low cost. Mm-hmm. That previously, and and I realized that oh my goodness, this is where these conversations need to take place, not in not in a particular room, you know, on the Kensington campus of the University of New South Wales, or whatever. But if I care about bringing diverse communities together and letting people meet each other across different life experiences and hear each other, then suddenly network. there was this magical you know mm-hmm. facility that could allow us to do that without huge amounts of money. Didn't need a printing press, didn't need a TV license or any of that. Uh, and so, despite having none of the necessary skills to to make that vision come true, I set about trying to launch a youth culture. What was called back then portal. Okay. Uh, so there, it's been a while since I uh, think you probably heard portal, it yeah, about Portal, Yeah, that was back in the day. Was, but yeah. it was all about portals in two thousand, yeah. two thousand and one, and we wanted to you know, launch a, a youth culture portal that uh-huh. would be a space for young people. And yeah. um and so it took like almost. I guess a year and a half two years Mm -hmm. to kind of find a couple of people who knew what they were Mm -hmm. doing and talk Them into doing what I wanted them to do and to work through that Um, And we actually did a a range of things back then that were actually really innovative didn't you know in that classic way didn't feel super didn't feel major at the time. Mm -hmm. But looking back on it now realize quite significant Um, So for instance, I'm not saying everyone else was inspired by us We did but this was kind of an idea whose time had come but one of the things we did was was put comments under every article Mm -hmm. No one did that back then you had forums you mm. know, so the articles were for like, you know, the smart people who knew what they were talking about and then you got to read those. And then if you want to talk about it, here's a specific ghetto for you to talk about it that is separate, <laughs> you know, because he's a different yeah, group. They're not mixed the writers, together. The, and we're like, no, those, are, those are all the same group, you know, and, a, and an article is just, just to start a conversation. Mm. And so where should that conversation take place? Right there on the article. Um, and so we played around. You know, we did like virtual summits, all the rage right now. We did a. Yeah, well. You might, we didn't know the phrase, but <laughs> what you might call a virtual summit in 2002, which we called the E Festival of Ideas, uh-huh. which was basically all in you know asynchronous forums, but bringing special guests to do, I guess, kind of the equivalent of Ask Me Anything's, mm-hmm. yep. kind of some of that. So we were just playing around, um, and, and the organisation continues to, to 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 exist today to support young people to make a difference. Brilliant. But what kind of happened through that time was a we were getting heavily involved in using technology. Um, B, we were, I guess, figuring out ways to fund that and discovering that 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 didn't always involve that that increasingly didn't involve grants because mm-hmm. they were really hard to get, and we weren't tax deductible, which ruled us out from a lot of. We were a not-for-profit, but yeah, not for profit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the tax
0: concessions and all that stuff really doesn't exist, does it? Yeah, didn't exist
1: then. Yeah. Doesn't exist for not for profit. Mm. And so, but so we we started looking around, like who else would pay? Who else would fund this stuff? Mm-hmm. And over time, we we figured out that corporates would sometimes sponsor mm-hmm. activities that engage young people. That big NGOs or even government mm-hmm. would pay you to help engage young people. Um, and that it was possible for young people to pay themselves for certain for certain opportunities and privileges, um, and so we essentially evolved into a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. But I never, I didn't, I'd never heard the phrase. I didn't really know <laughs> what it was. I just knew that I had yes. to find money, mm-hmm. uh, and that I was pretty open minded about where that would come from. Mm-hmm. And so if that involved writing a pitch or a proposal rather than writing a grant application. I was up for that. And mm-hmm. by the time, and by the end of eight years, we we're about two thirds earned revenue. Okay. Um, wow. Uh, based so it's still a third grant, but mm-hmm. you know, and, and so one of the things we did was open the first co-working space in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and obviously on a on a on a paid you know on a on a fee model. Sounds you like you've
0: done a, a lot bigger. of firsts in your world, Tom. So <laughs> tried a lot of yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: experimenting. Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah, but it's yeah. one of those things where it looks. I, I feel like it's one of the things I've really learned. I don't think I am actually. Uh, mm. I don't think I'm a i don't think i'm deeply innovative in this I, i'm not an inventor i guess is what i'm trying to say i'm an early adapter mm-hmm. and so i'm constantly scanning what's around me and then wondering how that might be relevant for the things i care about mm-hmm. so I, I did open the first co-working space in australia but not because i like thought of like i didn't invent the model of a co-working space i read about this amazing space in king's cross which was the first hub i don't know if you're familiar with the hub network there's hub australia mm-hmm. spaces, but there's like 300 of them around the world mm-hmm. now it's a franchise model. But back then there was one of them in King's Cross in mm-hmm. London. And so I wrote to them, was like, this sounds amazing. And they just shared everything with me. It's before their franchise model, before they yes. were charging <laughs> to teach you how to open a co space. Oh, and they just gave me like their model, their uh-huh. like bloody architects plans, mm-hmm. their financial. And I just kind of adapted that mm-hmm. and said, What I want is to support young. Entrepreneurs, like sixteen to thirty, mm-hmm. I mean, like, not just you know kids, but young adults, to be able to focus on making things happen, being entrepreneurial in the pursuit of social change, and I think kind of being in a space together. And, and working on that together could be really helpful and it's the same with you know crowdfunding when I ended up there like I was inspired by Kickstarter mm-hmm. who I thought was solving an important problem for creative entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and I thought ah, that's the same problem that needs to be solved for social entrepreneurs mm-hmm. how to get how to get around the gatekeepers how to not rely on the grant givers because they're inherently conservative and risk averse and if you want to do stuff that's kind of risky and innovative and fun and interesting you're probably not going to get grants on day one you might need to instead build a community of a hundred true fans or a thousand supporters and through their through their aggregate contributions, you can make something amazing happen. Just, just like Kickstarter allowed artists to develop those direct relationships with Kickstarter and MySpace and you know, mm-hmm. a whole range of social technologies. Kickstarter added the funding piece, though, that now you could rally together. A thousand people were willing to pay for your album mm-hmm. and would pay for it before it existed you could fund the recording of the album without needing a record label.
0: No, brilliant. Tom. sounds like you uh, dig around in all different areas and look to how to serve your social enterprise. And it's pretty cool the way you've structured some things along the journey and how that's evolved into different business models and just take, and like you said, you didn't have to invent them. You've taken them from other areas. And I think um, people are always looking for that big idea, that fresh idea that they can come out of their own mind. But sometimes, yeah, we can, we can take a concept that's in one market, another country, and then bring it into a different space. And, uh, something new yeah, and way. then tweak as needed yeah that's correct right. yeah. you know and you've that's done that's it all
2: I... with the lens of adding value mm. yeah so how do i add right. value how do i put these things together to add then provide yeah. better value
1: to whoever i need to serve exactly how do i yeah. make this relevant to my community mm-hmm. or the community i want to serve yeah, yeah. No, brilliant
0: so um start some good Let's, let's dig in a little bit about that. That is the most technical of the products that you um, you work around and business models that you work around. But clearly, it's supporting um, your your passion and what you're all about in terms of like serving the community at a higher level and bringing you ideas that can better serve communities. So when you were in about that process, how did you start the process obviously you saw a kickstarter i want to replicate this and shift the model a little bit uh, what did you do to just start that journey from uh, a non-technical person jumping into something that needed a bit of a technical background
1: yeah i guess i've i guess i've had quite a bit of experience i guess with being a non-technical founder and, and trying to find technical collaborators i mean you know right from the start with, with vibewire we were you know like web focused yes. and, and doing stuff there um and so I wasn't daunted by that mm-hmm. per se, mm-hmm. um, but certainly it was an experience in in how challenging think, things can be when 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 outsourcing without the experience to even kind of vet what you're getting back, mm-hmm. to some extent. So I guess the background with starts with good is I'd moved to I'd spent I moved to the US and was first in um, Washington DC doing digital communications for a global organization called Ashoka, okay. who actually invented the phrase social entrepreneurship oh, f- about 45 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, they, okay. they, I mean obviously they didn't invent the idea of being entrepreneurial yeah. in the pursuit of social change. They described something they saw, but there wasn't kind of a neat phrase to describe mm-hmm. that kind of combination of elements that is entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. but not in the pursuit of private returns, but in mm. the pursuit of, you know, broader social outcomes. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco to work for a kind of innovation for good lab in Silicon Valley called Hope Lab, which is cool. And while I was there, though, a couple of things happened. One, I felt like I observed for the first time in my life a truly pro-innovation ecosystem, I feel like in the social sector, you know, I kind of float, I guess, on the edges. I'm kind of in the kind of intersection point between like startups and philanthropy a little bit, like <laughs> okay. social good. And, uh-huh. um, and it's really interesting culturally, the attitudes towards risk in the, in the two. Like people talk a good game about innovation when it comes to social good. Everyone knows you need innovation. Everyone knows the world is changing fast. And so you can't just rely on things that were proven to work yesterday. But no one wants to pay for it because, because paying for innovation means paying for failure because the only way you get innovation is by trying stuff that may or may not work
0: yeah there is risk and along the way yeah exactly (laughs) there's
1: risk Mm -hmm. and inevitably you know there's not even the risk of risk there's the guarantee of risk the guarantee Mm -hmm. of failure Mm -hmm. um but but in the social sector everyone has this feeling like there's no money to waste and that paying for failures is wastage Mm -hmm. and therefore the 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 focus particularly for social good is prove to me that it already works um, you know, show me your impact metrics. And if I give you a dollar, for every dollar I give you, what's the social like I love? People trying to reduce it down to these like very specific kind of mm-hmm. financial Return. which makes sense at a certain scale, but it's obviously impossible for someone with a new idea or a genuinely innovative idea. Yeah. And so what I realized, what I realized spending time in San Francisco is absolutely I mean, your listeners, I'm sure are familiar with kind of the general startup funding, mm-hmm. but there's kind of two, this is very broad brushstrokes, but angel investors and VCs, yes, capitalists. And what I realized as angel investors normally investing their own money, making, you know, fairly speculative bets, accepting that a lot of those won't work out, but excited to be part of the journey and fueled by, by optimism and upside. Um, VCs a bit more skeptical, like show me the data, like VCs are investing someone else's money, Mm -hmm. which is a key dynamic. They're going to have to turn around and justify their decisions to their LPs and therefore their decisions have to be sensible. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to point to the data that this is why we decided this because here's the, the, you know, here's the, here's The 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 data, here's the proof. There's no guarantee, but there's good reasons to believe this will work out. And what I realized is that the kind of social funding writ large, um, whoever's doing it, you know, corporate foundations, high, high net worth individuals, government, is like a world of all VCs with no angels no one oh. very few people <laughs> <Okay>. wanna, <laughs> yeah okay. are, are willing sense. to there's no foundations out mm-hmm. there who go where we're people say we're, they're pro-innovation but no one out there is like we made 100 grand last year and 90 of them failed but mm-hmm. gee did we discover some amazing stuff mm-hmm. but no one would be willing to do that which is because what an angel investor has to do yes. And so that's where i saw that there was an opportunity or a need where something like we need to fill that angel investor type role someone mm-hmm. has to pay to try things so that you can collect data and then take it to the people who need data before they can make a decision Um, and I thought, well, crowdfunding. So I looked around and said, who else is kind of funding experiments? And I thought, well, kind of. Kickstarter seems very different, but it's kind of funding creative experiments. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not much different
0: there at all. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, exactly. yeah, I pu- think it's a publishing pr- authors yeah. who may
1: or may not be yes. great writers. You know, a mm-hmm. you know, book publisher not yet ready to take a punt on them. But again, if they could find a couple mm-hmm. hundred people who're like, yeah, let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. And of course, the risk in backing something at that early stage is so much less if you give less. Yeah, of course. You know, like mm-hmm. if it's hundred yeah, dollars compared $50. to
0: fifty thousand. It's a very different exactly. conversation, right? Totally. Yeah.
1: And so that's uh, I think essentially the mm-hmm. the role. That's so that was so I was thinking about all this stuff already in the and then I got a phone call from an ex uh Ashoka colleague, mm-hmm. um, Alex Budak, who said who pitched me the idea basically that we should set up a, mm-hmm. a social change crowdfunding platform. And, and initially I was like, no way, Alex. I've literally I've literally been in San Francisco for like five weeks. Mm-hmm. I think I was still sleeping on an air mattress. Like I hadn't set up my house properly. I'd just started a new job, which was pretty hectic already. I was just like not, you know, not at all not in not the right headspace time and place, right? <laughs> or headspace at <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> Um, so I was like no I, I can't do that Alex but I you know happy to give advice happy to you know be on your site. it's a great idea you should do it mm-hmm. Um, and like two weeks later, it was. I realized it was all I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so consuming. Yeah, which turned out to be you know a, a, dangerous, a dangerous sign for my new job as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably probably a sign that that wasn't going to be long um, for me. That I was, but instantly I was just it was just running through my head. It just resonated with so much of mm-hmm. the stuff that I'd done before, like trying to raise money myself for new ideas and mm-hmm. didn't have. You know, I wish I'd had crowdfunding when I was doing VibeWire. It would have been really helpful. For yeah, us it would have made a big
0: difference back then. If you yeah, think about it, right? I think yeah, it's exactly yeah, it. the
1: kind of tool we would have used. Um, and so after a couple of weeks, I'm like, all right, I'm in. And, and then we spent a couple of weeks trying to find the product and what does it look like to tweak that on behalf of and, and debating slightly different crowdfunding models and so on. Mm-hmm. And then we had to build it and we didn't have, neither of us were, were technical. And so we relied on, Alex had a close friend from university who, you know, was an engineer and who was now working for, I think like OkCupid or something like that, some big dating site. <laughs> um, but, you know, was a, was a yeah. professional in a, a full on, you know. Yeah. Um, st- technical startup environment. And he, will, he was willing to kind of guide us and mm-hmm. architect it. And then we outsourced to a team in, I think, India. Yeah, okay. um, mm-hmm. To build the first version. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple of things, a couple of, I guess, warning or, or kind of things that were not great about that process but other people were repeating it. I, you know, with with the guy, Alex's friend was kind of like helping him out, not truly invested in what we were doing, not true, didn't share our passion. You know, was a close friend and was doing his best to help. We gave him some equity, but he didn't really have that long term but it also meant we were a bit stuck, and I experienced this a lot actually at Vibewire, when you're reliant on. He was essentially a volunteer. Mm, you know, yep. he was he didn't have a true mindset of like, oh man, you know, if I side hustle this for six months, I'll be able to quit okay OKCupid and go from time and start. Some, you know. Yeah, it wasn't, he wasn't
0: thinking wasn't, that way. Just thinking as more. You no, know, I was just like, on oh, me Alex, a of help.
1: Yeah, get it. Yeah, my yeah. mate yeah. Alex is really passionate yeah. about this thing and mm-hmm. has asked me to help, and I'll, I'll help out. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and I'd experienced this a lot at Vibewire where I was reliant on volunteers, mm-hmm. and a part of. Sorry, guys, I don't know how much that's coming through. There oh, seems right. to be some just police chase out there. Yeah, maybe for, pause for, for a second. A <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a bunch of vehicles. Yeah, it's coming, it's coming right through, on. but that's okay. I guess that's uh, what <laughs> literally those sirens are designed for. Correct. <laughs> like, yeah, like, <laughs> make sure everyone hears it. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So that's so when like, you start. We'll five just five backtrack
2: weeks. a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, where was saying that? he wasn't invested, just volunteering.
1: So yeah, his mindset was was more a helping out, more of a volunteer mindset than a you know, than a co-founder mindset, like mm-hmm. try to think of it as, you know, maybe a side hustle now, but a, a mm-hmm. focus later. Um, and that reminded me a bit of, I guess, all the volunteers i would worked with at VibeWire, where we were constantly reliant on person A who knew how to do X, mm-hmm. and therefore we had to do things. We had to do X. And so, you know, in the eight years I was at VibeWire, we, we completely rebuilt our website three times because our kind of volunteer lead pecky changed and wanted to put it on a new Platform. a new platform so we went from drupal to yeah, mambo okay. to mm-hmm. i forget what mm-hmm. because sometimes we'd find ourselves and there'd be there'd be no one in our crew who <laughs> you know could really like build out on our website and someone would be like well i'm willing to build that job but i need i wouldn't you know but I'll, i will i want to build on a We're like well all right do that and so that was kind of a nightmare of why we had to keep rebuilding so this was a similar sort of scenario where we ended up on completely the wrong language you know it was built built on c plus c+, and it's not the kind of thing that you'd build a like responsive mm. you know lean Web app, Correct. Like we're doing, it's the kind of thing you'd build like an, a super intense database-driven mm-hmm. website, like say, OKCupid, mm-hmm. in something that's crunching vast data sets to try and make matches amongst tens of millions of people.
0: It's a very different thing, right? <laughs> that, yeah. appara-
1: that apparently, I mean, I don't know, yeah. you know, but apparently, that's the logical language you build it and not at all the way, but but and yet it's what we were building because it's just what he knew how to do, and that's then we got sad. this outsourced team. Mm-hmm. And the other, I guess, the other thing I found that was really challenging about that outsourced model, without a truly invested technical mm-hmm. lead in house was we couldn't really assess how good it was. Mm-hmm. It looked fine and it worked fine when we, I, I kind of, I, I kind of. the thing I always think about, maybe as an analogy is, it's a little bit like looking at secondhand cars, if you're not a car person, as, I, mm-hmm. as I'm not. Always a bit stressful, right? you like, it, it works fine as we go around the block. You yeah, yeah. really, really can't yeah. look at the engine. Yeah. And so this was fine, this was fine so long as we were driving around the suburbs at 40 k's an hour, mm-hmm. essentially, our so, but as soon as we got it out on the freeway, as soon as like any amount of traffic hit it, it was just so inefficiently built that it slowed down to almost nothing the moment we tried to you get it a up scale. A little bit. I think it's a great analogy that you shared there around
0: yeah. that, buy a secondhand car. Because <laughs> you
1: <it used> <laughs> Why one? you steal that from you? I think it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, you can have that. Yeah,
0: because people get that. It's like, yeah, and everyone's experienced that.
1: So um, Yeah, and you yeah. get terrified. I, I yeah. bought a second-hand car last so year, and we, yeah. about, yeah. we required it. It had to have perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect service history. Like there were some nice cars out there, seemed a good price. But yeah. any any sort of, we just couldn't take the risk. We're not car people. We yeah. can't like look yeah. at the <laughs> oh, engine. Sure. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's
2: with, just yeah, terrific. software. It's like a car exactly. So it's very complicated. Lots of things under the hood. You don't even people who coded. There could be three different people, and they're all isolated from each other potentially, not knowing what the other person was thinking at that point in time. That's exactly And then right. because you have a volunteer technical advisor who's not actually reviewing and taking charge of that, it's yeah. it's up in the air really.
1: Totally. Like, good enough was good enough for him. Like, mm-hmm. as, long as, you know, as long as it just kind it of sort worked, of worked and looked like it should. Yeah. It? You got what you wanted. It works. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work. Yeah. We can't build a business. We can't scale. Like, yeah. we realized in order to scale, and it's why eventually we raised money, I have that because we got stuck in this kind of technical debt okay. whereby the website literally wouldn't let us scale effectively. Mm. But without that scale, we couldn't generate the revenue that would enable us to mm. rebuild.
0: Yeah, sort of, um, and, and the only way to resolve that was to,
1: exactly. Yeah. And then we just had to, and, and we were, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the people who backed us at the time and, mm-hmm. and did invest in us that we could com- throw it away and completely rebuild. And fortunately by this part, point with a, with a technical co-founder mm-hmm. and CTO, uh, Renata, Renata Van Diest, who's still still with me now. Alex burnt out after three years. Mm-hmm. Um, Renata joined the team. We're actually a much better, mm-hmm. you know, more natural co-founder pairing yeah, okay. with me on <laughs> me, me with the more yeah. industry expertise around fundraising and, uh-huh. and social entrepreneurship, and Renata been a, a you know I was a senior engineer at Microsoft and had been with a couple of startups. She brought that, and so we still outsource. We're still we're still a one person tech team, mm-hmm. but outsourcing when you have the in-house knowledge to even te- like obviously to brief better and to test what they're do- doing and to look under the hood and say does this yeah. work made it made a huge difference for that and we're still on that platform now I mean obviously we've been t- we've been iterating it ever since but it's still the same basic platform that we rebuilt six years ago now
2: okay oh, yes yes so having that knowledge in house yeah being able to speak the same language yeah,
1: like, yeah. and so whether it, that's in-house it, or having a trusted partner I yeah. think you know not just having that that arm's length relationship with the cheapest service provider, <laughs> whatever. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, de- I definitely think you need someone you can really, you know, we've had some good outsourcing relationships then as well with yep. more, more often with local people. Mm-hmm. So you can build a, uh, obviously it's the world's very interconnected now, so that's not a must necessarily, but I think it, it can really help. Obviously if you build mm-hmm. a proper relationship with people really can get on the same page and yep. whether that person's inside or a really trusted partner mm-hmm. not just where you don't just feel like a client you've got a real partner and yeah, yeah they have to want to wanna
2: help you and help you get where you want to go it's like bringing yeah. a mechanic to the car yard with you
1: yeah yeah having that re- no, that's Same exactly thing. right like having that relation with the mechanic like it makes such a big difference when mm-hmm. the, like mechanic like if you like picking a mechanic scary again because you can't really test their work but once you find a mechanic that you trust you want to hold on to that person because mm. that's such yep. a load off your mind for the rest of your life
0: i think one yeah. of the key words you mentioned there was partner um and you're on a journey because you're on an unknown journey too. You've got an idea, um, you're starting out at a point where you think that this may be the way we take this. And I'm sure that your model's evolved over time and your thinking's evolved over time. And you need someone that's going to be there with you to help you make those pivotal decisions along the journey too from a, one, business perspective, two, technical perspective because they can impact each other quite significantly. Have you found the models evolved over time or is it, Pretty much been set uh, from where you've started out from.
1: Uh, No, it has evolved quite a bit actually. I mean, the sense that we're still so it's it's evolved, but like we're we're still doing exactly what we originally did, but we're just doing some additional stuff on top of that. And I guess our one of our kind of I guess what made us unique when we launched Mm -hmm. was a our focus that you know kind of as a curatorial focus, we only take social good or you know social environmentally positive projects, Um, but our impact focus was also that we want to help people succeed who wouldn't succeed without us. Like, so if we're just providing, you know, another place where people who who would have succeeded on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or Puzzle, but they just so happen to be succeeding with us, like obviously that's cool, we're capturing, you know, that's good for us, but it's not really changing anything out there in the world. That person might have just, you would have probably just succeeded somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so I guess part of my background is in this, you know, empowering people from diverse backgrounds. And and um, and, and one of the things I really learned Around that is that you can't just hand people a tool; you got to teach them how to use that tool confidently and successfully as well. So, you know, if you're empowering young people to, like, I don't know, share their stories through video, you can't just rock up and hand them video cameras and then leave. It doesn't work, does it? <laughs> yeah. No, they're going to be like, no "What do I do with this?"
2: Build it, and they'll come. Scenario. Exactly, it never but that's works basically that
1: way. how most crowdfunding platforms are. They've got mm-hmm. they've got some they've got some good materials, but you kind of got to go through those materials yourself and, and have enough, I guess, context or experience to even understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of our focus was we really wanted to be the most helpful platform. You know, we really wanted to support people and, and, and give people real feedback so that they could, they could kind of – people who have a good idea but don't know how to tell it, we want to help them tell it, not just here are the tools, but here's a bit of coaching and advice on how to actually like shape that story, okay. who that story is for. The outreach campaign, you know, actually like putting up the crowdfunding campaign is the mm. easiest and least important part of the process. It's obviously the actual outreach campaign around that, which requires some sophistication around like crafting your pitch, identifying your target market, you know, your, your the persona, your persona. So there's a the whole, what I'm
0: imagining right here, right now is... Started at a tool, but a realization was to help people. You really need to help them craft their idea, consult their model, how they might pitch this out, and that's how yeah. the models really evolved—not specifically yeah. with the tool, but more the business model and how you operate. Yeah, what we wrap company. around that tool. Yeah, what I
1: realized. This is my own naivety mm-hmm. with business. I'd only ever, you know, been in not-for-profits, I'd done one previous business, but it was kind of, you know, um, it was a simple business. I was running, I was running musical events, and we were donating okay. profits to yeah. youth causes. So it was a social enterprise, but it was that yes. simple form of social enterprise, right? right a business like normal donate mm-hmm. profits yes that's kind of like one version of social enterprise mm-hmm. but the harder more sophisticated version of social enterprise is like design a business with the impact of its heart mm-hmm. um and and what i hadn't realized was that i guess some sort of the conflict between our impact model and our business model that that you know the platform business model any type of platform really requires high volume low touch and the ultimate aspiration of any platform model is to get to the point where the incremental cost of a new whatever is zero so it costs Airbnb nothing for another house listing to, it, to it arrive. It costs Indiegogo nothing for another crowdfunding campaign to launch. And so at that point, any success rate it, you know, can be highly profitable. If you just operationalize acquiring and launching campaigns Correct. to a point where you <laughs> barely touch them that's just not how we build our model because we want, to, we want it we wanted to be high touch we like want to provide like every every campaign draft on our site gets paired with a crowdfunding coach on our team who reaches out and we're like got any questions how can i help and here's some specific feedback for you about your campaign here are some things that you could make better um, the problem is that doesn't pay for itself on the crowdfunding model, you know, clip right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very good Exactly. And it never did, but it took me a little while to realize it. And I uh-huh. guess a couple of years in we realized we we're stuck in this annoying spot where it felt like we were providing too much support mm-hmm. from a financial point of view, mm-hmm. but too little support from an impact point of view. Okay. But a, a little bit of feedback and a couple of check-ins is not real like it's not really taking someone who's mm-hmm. totally you know who, who's got a great idea but no life experience to prepare them for pitching, selling, online community building. To get them there. Get um, and so I guess we've been trying to figure that out ever since. One of the ways in which we've done that is through partnerships and programs that are funded by essentially moving from – I mean, it's kind of all B2B because people tend to be launching companies and okay. and, pro- and projects. But if we call call that B2C because it's an individual purchase, it's mm-hmm. an individual founder or entrepreneur, mm-hmm. we move from that to more B2B where where an institution or a large company will fund us to run programs that support those emerging startups – so last okay. year, for instance, we ran two corporate-funded accelerators—one for Optus and one for Austral Fisheries—that supported emerging social enterprises in their areas. We also run our own social enterprise design program called Good Hustle, which is a ten-week course, and it kind of reverse engineers everything because one of the things we realize, of course, when it comes to crowdfunding, is like there's only so much you can do when you're a week out from launch. We do our—you know—people come to us, we do our best to help them think through their, bit. but but if but if it's just badly designed in the first place, the actual idea is not very strong, not very clear if the actual impact model doesn't make sense. There's only so much you can do when it comes to just improving the crowdfunding campaign. And so Good Hustle is us kind of reverse engineering everything that we've seen work and not work over 10 years of helping people launch. Like we think we have a very good, uh, like the most insight of almost any, anyone in the world is to what is is what what is launch readiness? When are you actually ready to present your idea to people in a way that they, are, that they will be ready to respond to and whether that's pre-purchasing a product? Or, or, you know, backing a philanthropic initiative or signing up to an uh, uh, some sort of cause campaign. It's what, what does it take to convince people to take that step? And so Good Hustle then is us kind of reverse engineering that into a formula. Here are 10 things you need to get right in order to be launch ready in terms of your impact model and your business model and your definition of your target market and refining your pitch. As well, and and personal self care is one of those ten. Like being ready for the journey. That yeah, you're it is a journey,
0: you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, be ready for that yeah. to
1: be long a, a long journey, yeah. and you better think yeah. carefully about how mm-hmm. you are not going to burn out, because oh. burnout is actually one of the great sources of failure mm. for for yeah. startups and businesses, and for cause campaigns, especially mm-hmm. people who are very passionate that can really burn out from kind of not balancing their passion with self care mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and so that's a lot of what we do. And in, in some ways, that I guess that that focus on, on equipping people. Building their capacity to use the tools that we've built has become the majority of our business now. That's that's you know that's that's the considerable majority of our revenue. Uh, but actually, one of our challenges for this year is we want to rebalance that. We've just had a, a new guy join the team, um, who's kind of the third core member of our leadership group now as our general manager, Simon Keith. He's at ex Atla, Atlassian, so he's got some real experience with scaling. Yes, I um, <laughs> imagine he would have. Yes,
0: Sitting yeah.
1: We don't so yes. much. I mean, we're uh-huh. kind of, you know, we're we're, yeah. we're 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 proud of what we've done in the last ten years, but uh-huh. it, it certainly hasn't grown to anything like, you know, my initial naive optimism. <laughs> but I still want to, yes. you know, ultimately we want to create the greatest impact possible. That means mm-hmm. building, you know, building, you know, supporting more social entrepreneurs, launching more campaigns, helping them raise more money and making more of an impact. Um, and so we're really trying to rebalance now to get to to kind of get back on a scaling trajectory with the platform complemented by all these other kind of upgrades by the additional coaching you can receive from us by the additional, co- we even go all the way through to you know co-design services, helping people really craft and shape their campaign, who, who are in a position to invest in that kind of special specialty help to really refine and make their campaign most likely to succeed. Um, but we want to, yeah, we want to rebalance because I guess our vision for the company is not ultimately an at-scale fee-for-service agency. Mm. Um, it's a it's fun a, place it's to a, it's be, it's a though. Um, yeah.
0: I think... Drawing a bit of a, an understanding of where you're at. So. You're obviously, an ideas guy, you love working on new concepts, and maybe that's where the business is drawn to. Um,
1: and it's true, you know, I need someone yeah. with a bit of discipline to say, yeah. <laughs> should we really do that new thing, yes. or should we focus on our existing <laughs> thing?
0: That's, I think, I think it's, it's all you've learned a lot, and that, that experience can, yeah, it's about how do you scale it now. And I think you're in a really interesting position, um, uh, being able to know what the 10 things are to be able to help because you can put a platform out there, like you said, um, but a platform's a platform's a tool, like anything, if you don't know yeah. use and a tool. Oh, crowdfunding has a
1: really. wonderful success rate. Most yeah. people don't know. And this is, I guess, one of our challenges is that I think people don't realize how, how little they know about crowdfunding a lot of the time. Yes. <laughs> From the outside, people think it's just about having a snazzy video and a bit of coffee, when in fact it's obviously a really focused, effective mm. outreach, marketing and sales campaign. Mm. Um, and so a lot of people, I think, have very... Wishful thinking—that mm-hmm. uh, crowdfunding is just if you have a good idea and you list it on a crowdfunding platform, that people will find it and people will fund it. Like, yeah, no, Doesn't work that um, way. never. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's ever as easy as it seems People only ever isn't... hear
2: the success stories about the quickest funded yes. and the ones that break their records. Yes, no one it. ever yeah. hears about the failures.
1: No. no, that's it. I mean, did you know like, people don't even realize you know that crowdfunding truly is the iceberg. With the success stories are that yeah. you know, Indiegogo only eleven percent of projects reach their goals. Yeah, it's but not a big that number. eleven percent of the ones you know are, are some big. Yeah eye-catching campaigns. Mm. People like, wow, it's like you can raise a lot of money there. But in fact, 90% of everyone who lists a project is, is is planning to reach their goals. Yes. So this is one of the things that where we, you know, where you really do see the, I guess the, it's hard to make our approach. It's been hard for us to make it work from a business point of view, but it certainly works from an outcomes point of view. It's the difference there, yeah. Is about 53% oh, of wow. projects wow, reaching wow, their goals. That's a very
0: different numbers. isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Kickstarter is 31%, just to yeah. give a yeah, bit, yeah, bit okay. more of a, a, you. a spectrum. You're not, You're not just throwing guys, an idea the bottom. on the platform. We're basically at the top. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. we – I mean, part of that is, of course, that there's – we are a curated platform, so some of that is like terrible campaigns that never launched, that wouldn't have succeeded, that other yep, platforms would have there. <laughs> that, that just will let go live, and hopefully, some of it, hopefully, is people who really do, you know, refine their ideas and get a sense of direction and focus uh-huh. and strategy through their interactions with us, and are therefore able to get it out there more effectively, and, and ultimately, you know, rally the community they need.
0: Brilliant, Tom. Yeah. Obviously, um, you're all about passion and impact. So, tell us a couple of stories of some of your. Um, uh, I'd imagine um, close to heart sort of success stories and what's been launched through the platform and that you've helped get to success.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, there's been some really great launches and, and you know, pilots and saving some yes. stuff, you know, <laughs> getting things going down. Yeah. Lots of different contexts, but of course, starting things is a particular passion and focus mm-hmm. of ours. Um, so, I mean, a great technology, one that comes to my mind that I think could be uh, you guys. It's, it's not software, but it's a oh, – no, it is actually software, sorry. Uh, it's kind of software and hardware. An amazing startup, strength startup called AbilityMade. Okay, and they create their um, they create child orthotics, so uh, like particularly specialising in feet and ankles for kids who don't you know through birth defects or horrific accidents mm-hmm. have lost their feet and ankles. It's a genuine order of magnitude step forward in the technology. It Used to take, it, it was all done with plaster casting, often so uh, often very traumatic for for kids. Didn't like it. Um, then it would take up to five or six weeks. To produce and cost up to ten thousand dollars. And of wow. course, kids grow fast. So I don't know if you guys have kids and buy, you know, like, yeah. just like very, very it's a little bit like imagine yeah. <laughs> Totally. So you, you know yeah. what a pain it is buying shoes for kids? Mm-hmm. Imagine having to replace their foot. Wow. Um yeah. Yeah, as okay. they were growing. That so really the expe- pop. Yes. Yeah, really yeah. expensive and inaccessible. So mm-hmm. What they've done is uh, their their actual breakthrough tech is actually is software actually. It's a three D scanning tech. They can literally just scan the leg and then it will okay. create a CAD model. And print it and use 3D printing. They can make them in a day now for like four hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, wow, well, yeah. that's um, massive innovation. So just an incredible
1: yeah. step forward. Yeah. Not just like a little bit better. It's a classic like yeah. ten times better. Yes. And it, you can particularly think about the. I mean, that's that's great in Australia, but the real impact I think will be overseas. Like if you think about the amount of amputations in a place like Cambodia where they can't mm-hmm. afford any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. So really proud of that. That was their first. They funded their first clinical trials Brilliant. or their first like in practice trials. Mm-hmm. For that which is again a key moment to build that. One of the things we kind of a mention of. One of the things we. Pitch with crowdfunding is that it's not just an alternative form of source of capital, it's a it's a source of validation that then helps you get the capital from those VC type funders who just need evidence. It can help you collect that evidence. Even even the act of successfully crowdfunding something is data, is evidence. Is like, see, people want this. I can prove that people want it. They've put their own money in. Now you should invest as well. So there, everybody's they've gone on to raise several million dollars in impact investing and they're mm-hmm. they're scaling well, now. Yeah, that's huge. Um, what are some other uh, great examples. There's a cool, uh, I'm focusing more on cool tech and stuff, there's a, there's a <laughs> cool a <laughs> uh, technology rollout out of uh, out of uh, or commercialization out of UTS called Psychonetic, and it's mind control wheelchairs.
0: Mind control oh, wheelchair. That sounds cool. like a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. that? yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it has to be AI. Apparently, it's some of, one of the interesting things. Was you can't just read someone's mind because you have to then have an AI layer that interprets it. Because yeah. otherwise, the yeah. person thinks to themselves, "Let's avoid that wall," when the wheelchair runs into the wall. Yeah.
2: Okay. It, 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 <laughs> yes.
1: it picks up the brain going, yeah. "Wall, you say." Well, yes. so you gotta, yeah. So anyway, that's fascinating. That's yeah, a, that we? was a, a PhD from UPS uh-huh. and he raised about a hundred thousand dollars. Yes. To, to put that into production, mm-hmm. that was because. But we've also had lots of you know lots of food and fashion and. Uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorites is um Sacred Era, which is an indigenous streetwear label mm-hmm. launched with us a couple of years ago, and they make really cool stuff. i'm I'm a fan and a customer. Yeah, good brilliant. beer yes. but, uh, which I launched Great Barrier Beer with us, a good okay. Brewing co- Great Barrier beer. Great Barrier beer was the mm-hmm. the specific beer, and it's a it's a social enterprise beer that gives profits to the Great Barrier Reef.
0: Okay. Oh, cool. Nicola, yeah, that's really it's a beautiful place. it needs um definitely some help let's get the ecosystem yeah if kind of sure yeah, yeah. we can do that. yeah
1: while also drinking beer. That's a bit of a win. Well, that's a win for everybody, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally. uh, I, I really love the diversity that's on the platform. There's a, there's beer, there's there's fashion, there's um, wheelchairs that are controlled by AI. It's pretty cool stuff in terms of what you're helping and evolving out through the platform. So, yeah, yeah. I can understand the excitement of getting involved in the And it's, and it's less
1: technology stuff as well. You know, that's like it's, it's some of the cutting-edge innovation, but it's also like, yes. you know, there's been a bunch of community gardens. There's been after-school you know tutoring programs the kids who are falling through cracks it's just the whole the whole gamut of you know anything you can think of really it's we're very um we're very passionate about social enterprise but we're actually like model agnostic you know it could be a for profit a profit for purpose company it could be a traditional not-for-profit it could just be you and a bunch of friends trying to make something happen um so long as the actual project itself is is you know making a positive impact in the world we would Uh love to host it we don't care kind of we're not yeah, you know, we we're, we're less focused on what form do you choose to pursue that impact through we think that's kind of up to you and up to your potential supporters someone yeah. someone else may or may not give you money because they don't like you know the fact that you're a social enterprise rather than a charity or whatever but mm. that, that's their decision not ours we, we want all of that to
2: yep you know you just, be able to go forward to help get as much impact as possible
1: yeah exactly and one of the things one of my real beliefs I, I thought you know I you know so like who was excluded from traditional fundraising yeah. infrastructure there obviously were if 10 years ago 15 years ago there's been online fundraising infrastructure for a while it's ever evolving ever improving but what 10 years ago what was it wasn't so much that the infrastructure didn't exist but who had access to it it was almost all in built for only tax deductible charities only for the traditional you know fundraising entities and there was this yeah. assumption i think that People would only give money if they got a tax deduction. And I never thought that was true, and I feel like we've really proven that isn't true, that people at that lower level, sure, if you're giving a million dollars, you'd really love a tax receipt because that gives you you know, half a million back. Um, but if you're giving $50, okay. no one cares. It's you not know, $50, when $50 spend, right? I think exactly. Yeah, people do it for positive reasons. They do it because they're inspired, because they feel hopeful, because they're moved, because they want to be part of something. They don't do it because they're going to get $32 back from the government in 15 months. Yeah. you know they're just they're literally just not even thinking about that at all and so what we realized or what we our hypothesis that we have proven is that it's you know this this the the, the not-for-profit sector had become kind of obsessed by what they weren't that they were not for profit whereas we need to be focusing on what we are that we're making a difference and then yeah. and if you're making a difference then the form factor is less important to people they want mm. they just want to be inspired they want to see good work happen they want to be part of you know part of making things better
2: yeah, something that, greater that, than themselves
1: exactly and sometimes that will be through giving a donation sometimes that will be through cho- choosing to buy a particular brand of beer you know that's the <laughs> that's the social enterprise that's the, that's the, that's the power of the social enterprise model which i love is that you can kind of do the right thing while also you know doing what you want to do you know, wearing shirts you like and yes. drinking beer and that all those things can still be positive social acts if we if we make the right decisions you know make the right conscious decisions about um about who we're supporting but the other people who are excluded beyond kind of social enterprises was just unincorporated groups you know that if you guys wanted to like if you guys were neighbors and you wanted to organize a park cleanup in your local park and for that you needed like 500 bucks because you wanted to hire a skip and um uh, you know and uh, get some gloves and bags and so on you shouldn't need to set up park cleanup Inc. just to kind of to get that access, done, yeah, it makes yeah, the barrier completely just to access some modern yeah. tools to pass the hat around and raise the funds you need to yep. do something good in your local community. I,
0: I, I love the, um, the the little how little the change could be and how big it can be, and I think it's quite um, an interesting space that you're in. And I, I get the impact's pretty huge, and I see it coming through the screen as you're staring at me, and I'm really enjoying your passion in the project and how you've put this together and where it might go to. Where, what's the vision? Where do you want to be in three to five years' time? Obviously, brought on um, someone for scale from Atlassian. What does that mean for you and where do you want to be?
1: Yeah, if we don't make it, it's all Simon's fault. Um, <laughs> not mine. Uh, no, we, we want to be, you know, I mean, we want to, you know, big picture, we want to, you know, fuel a, a, a movement of change makers to create a better future. Ultimately, through that movement, we hope to increase the pace of innovation for social change. We think there's a real, uh, urgent need for us to simply build a a better muscle when it comes to social innovation, and that requires, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a innovation ecosystem. Yes. One of the things I'm having to learn is that we can't necessarily do all the things in that ecosystem. <laughs> that you know, <laughs> It'd be nice if we could, but yeah, sometimes we're a piece
0: in the puzzle, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: yes. And so we want to we want to we want to improve and scale our piece, and our, our hope is that over the next five years we can help launch ten thousand social impact initiatives that change over a million lives.
2: It's a great yeah. call.
0: Yeah, that awesome girl, Tom. I was going to ref- say,
2: um, yeah. well, do you have a question. No, go for it. I was going to say, yeah. So, if people wanted to start some good, where can mm-hmm. they find out about you?
1: Well, startsomegood.com <laughs> is a great place to start, Anthony. Thank you for asking. Um, if they're interested in our our, our good hustle program specifically, because they're at that more ideation or trying to actually kind of you know lock down their ideas into a into a coherent plan and strategy, um, then you should check out goodhustle.online as well.
2: Cool, and we'll put those links out in the show notes and hopefully everyone can reach out to you.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, please do. And everyone should feel free. I am very um, welcoming of connections on LinkedIn from anyone who's on that social entrepreneurial journey. Would love to stay in touch. I'm, um, You know, if, if there's anything you can learn from me and I'm sure there's things I can learn from you as well because we're all learning all the time
0: oh we are and i think that's yeah. um there's plenty of learning going through your journey right now i'm sharing that out so thanks for coming on sharing your journey thus far and the impact you're making and um good luck with it all because it's um, all for a good cause so i really um appreciate the, your direction you've taken so congrats on it all yeah. uh, thank you good so much
1: scaling. guys yeah. yeah i really appreciate just, you know you the, the you sharing the platform that you've created and put so much work into building this podcast and yeah. giving me that opportunity to to share my story. It's a great privilege. Thank
0: you. Cheers, thank you. Thanks for your time. Cheers, mate. We'll cut that there, Tom. That was brilliant. I really enjoyed that conversation. (laughs) Thank you, guys. That was awesome.